welcome and thanks for joining us. I hope it's been a decent week for you and God has been gracious and kind. Uh, it's good to see your faces on Zoom or some of your faces as this is week two of our new format. And we're just going to uh, continue our time of worship by studying God's word. We are in the middle of a short sermon series on caring for one another. Uh, and what we're going to see tonight is specifically how we comfort each other. And so we'll be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verses 3 to 7. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'll go ahead and read our passage for us, and then we will pray for our time. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. This is the word of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. Let's pray. God, would you align our hearts to you, Lord, that we may be humbled to receive your word with gladness, that it would convict us and shape us, that it would stretch and challenge us and mold us to be more and more like your son, that we would delight in the gospel, the good news of Christ, and that would color everything for us, including times of hardship, when we encounter suffering. Lord, may it be a platform by which we steer our gaze uh, to you, knowing that you are sovereign and good, Lord, that you are worthy of praise and that you can even use our afflictions to mature us. And as you do so, we are sensitized to the needs of those around us, that you have placed people in our lives uh, not only to serve uh, our felt needs, but Lord, so that we can serve, so that we can care for one another with the comfort that you lavish upon us. So be with us now as we study your word that you give us eyes to see the glories of uh, Christ and the richness of this text that we might follow in obedience. And so may you be present here, uh, Lord, to knit our hearts together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start with uh, some words. Chicken noodle soup, ice cream, chocolate, maybe steak and Popeye's fried chicken. And if you're wondering, what do these foods have in common? Well, they can be, for some, comfort foods. Foods people reach for after a rough day, maybe getting fired or being rejected by a guy or girl. Some of us will reach for these foods like ice cream when we need comfort and when we don't. But I digress, suffice to say, the concept of comfort food is actually pretty funny, right? Seek temporary refuge 
by indulging in food. We'll insulate ourselves for a brief moment by gratifying our taste buds. And let's be real. We all know it's a silly strategy, a diversion tactic, because in the end, the best chocolate and fried chicken can do nothing for our broken relationships, our work issues, and any of life's curveball. It's simply a short respite before we are confronted again with the reality and presence of our hurts and problems. And the same is true with most coping mechanisms like sleeping, entertainment, or just plain denial. Fact is, we need something better than food or these alternative methods. We need something more substantial than a fleeting distraction. We need God. By way of recap, we're in the middle of a short sermon series on caring for one another. And so last week, we studied how it's in the community of faith that we consider one another. A church is home. It's the context in which we live out our faith by drawing close to God and to each other. Well, tonight we're going to expand on this more by examining a particular way we care for one another. Tonight we'll look at how God comforts us in our afflictions so that we can comfort each other. Our passage will help us see this because 2 Corinthians, if you don't know, is probably one of Paul's most raw and intimate letter. Because in it, he lays his heart on a platter. He discloses the depth of his ministry pains, being hurt, some might even say betrayed by the Corinthians themselves. And yet it's in this letter, he also rejoices and celebrates the gospel and places his hope in the power of God and the abundant care that God offers. In a nutshell, if you want to summarize, 2 Corinthians is about strength in weakness, about God's sufficiency once we accepted our insufficiency. And there's no setting this painful lesson is better learned than in our suffering when we're still aching after the last crumb of comfort food or the last episode on Netflix, when our clever strategies and best efforts do nothing to alleviate our pain, when the offerings of this world leave us empty, then we look outside of ourselves. We look to God, the one who reigns on high, the one who can not only make sense of our madness, but provide balm for our wounded souls. And so much like last week, the movement is going to go from the vertical to the horizontal, from God to then each other, from comforted to comforter. And the order is logical. We are equipped to comfort and care for others because we have firsthand experienced God's comfort and care for us. Then we can dispense it. Then we can give it out. And we got to get the sequence right. Because usually when we come to a difficulty in our lives, it's easy to be fixated upon the pain. Oftentimes our attention is given to the problem. But Paul, Paul wants our attention to be arrested by a person. So the apostle tackles this topic of comfort by shifting 
where our eyes land first. If you want to be better at comforting others, well, you can't jump the gun. The initial step, the first point in our outline is to concentrate on the person of comfort. Concentrate on the person of comfort. Look again at verse 3. Paul opens up, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. You see, in the midst of his turmoil and trials, Paul doesn't find solace in how deep his pockets are. He doesn't gain confidence by gazing admirably into a mirror. He doesn't search for comfort in past ministerial success. No, Paul, Paul praises God. You see, blessing God isn't only appropriate when you feel blessed, but even when you feel cursed. When life seems down in the dumps, and I'm sure many of us can relate with this. It resonates. It strikes a chord. This is how we would characterize 2020, right? But that's why Paul's example at the outset is worthy of imitation. This is chapter one. Blessing frames everything, especially what he will unpack and unravel. You and I need a firm foundation. We need to ground ourselves in the truth, truths about God that he is always worthy of praise. Preach to your heart until praise pours out of you. And I know, I, I can sense the letdown even from uh, this digital video. You're thinking, that's it? Cliche, right? Trivial. This is the Sunday school answer for our suffering. But friends, if that's your gut reaction, if that's your first thought, it reveals all the more the urgency of what we need to take heed to. If your heart is apathetic or wilting, it does you no good to return again and again to your problems. That's just exhausting because you're running in a circle. You need to break the cycle and set your sights on him. Ascribe God the honor due his name. Bless him until you're overwhelmed, not by your grief, but the glory and majesty of God himself. We carry, even drag at times, our hearts into his presence because biblical comfort finds its source in a person. Concentrate on God. This is what Paul does in our passage. And look at the attributes he latches onto. The apostle takes what seems so rote and boring, what sounds like a generic benediction, blessed be God, and he adds meat to the bones. This God, he says, is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I know, still, you shrug your shoulders, big whoop. But you see, Paul is packaging the gospel here. God is both divine and dad. And here's the ultimate shocker. This heavenly father demonstrates how loving and good he is by dealing with how bad we are. He did not spare his own son, but sent Jesus Christ straight into the fire, plunging the light of the world to deal with the darkness of our sin. And in his sovereign wisdom, God the Father orchestrates a plan of salvation that does not avoid the cross, but accomplishes redemption through it. You see what the apostle is doing here? He's going from the greater to the lesser. 
He's connecting the dots for us. If God can take the greatest tragedy in the history of mankind and transform it for our good and for his glory, what makes you think he is stumped by your plight? If God be a good and loving father to his only begotten perfect son, will he not be so to children ransomed by the precious blood of Christ? You can be just as certain that as God is a father to our Lord Jesus Christ, so will he be to those who are in Christ. Let that move you out of apathy. We do not bless some distant, indifferent deity. No, we extol and cast ourselves into the hands of this same father who the text tells us also holds something else. All mercies and comfort. Now, mercy and comfort, these are loaded words we're used to, and so we hardly bat an eye. But meditate on them. I love what Dane Ortland says about God's mercy. He makes this comparison. He says, the Old Testament speaks of God being provoked to anger by his people dozens of times. But not once are we told that God is provoked to love or provoked to mercy. His anger requires provocation. His mercy, his mercy is pent up, ready to gush forth. We tend to think divine anger is pent up, spring-loaded. Divine mercy is slow to build. But it's just the opposite. Divine mercy is ready to burst forth at the slightest prick. That's the inclination of the Father's heart. And that's why God is the foundation of all comfort because he is a kind father overflowing with mercy eager to lavish upon us his own care and comfort feast on that is there anyone more intimately aware of your sufferings than the one who is aware of every tinge every minutia of pain that his own son suffered in his crucifixion is there anyone better to turn to when cancer strikes, when a failed project puts your job in jeopardy, when friends belittle you behind your back, when you succumb to sin or you're, you feel your own heart hardening, who will you turn to? Fix your gaze upon God. We bank ourselves on him. We echo Spurgeon that even when you can't trace his hand, you don't know what he's doing in his providence, you can still trust his heart. You know him. Praxis, trust his character more than your circumstances. You know, that's why I read the Bible. That's why I pray. That's why I need to be a part of the church and participate in the body of Christ. Because I, I need my gaze lifted to God. I need to be in awe of him more than my afflictions. And Paul is prying our eyes open to the relational aspect of comfort. We often assume and evaluate comfort detached from a person, right? We just like to think of the end result if we were comforted. We want that thorn on the side pulled out or, or the roadblock in our plans removed, that air quality improved or the virus vaccinated, things to go back to normal, life perfect and smooth. But to seek and be content with such a comfort is, to be blunt, shallow 
and primitive. To be satisfied with only the absence of problems and pains is to forfeit the opportunity provided to us as Christians to see and know God better. Paul here is priming our hearts. When we long for comfort, what we long for is a person for God himself. Now, I was thinking about this. I think this is why for most of us, when we're hurting, when we're a hot mess, we tend to turn towards other people. Not necessarily because we think that they hold all the answers, the, the robust solution, the 10 steps to our particular dilemma. No, at the heart of it, we just want someone who cares. Someone who will understand and tell us it will be okay. And the only person who can truly guarantee that good news is both God and Father. So concentrate on him. Once we're captivated by the person of comfort, we're ready to hear what he has to say. So the second step in better comforting others is to cling to the promise of comfort. Cling to the promise of comfort. We transition from concentrating on the person of comfort to clinging to the promise of comfort. Look, God is not impractical. He knows that comfort doesn't magically happen just by staring at him. No, he demands our attention because he wants us to see what he will do, how he will come through on his promises. For some of you, I think this is where the struggle really lies. You can reflect and recount the number of occasions where you were disappointed. Quite frankly, you felt like God didn't keep his word, that he failed you, that he did not comfort. But I would guess this is probably owing to wrong expectations or distorted understanding of what true comfort looks like. Maybe you imagine being stress-free, problem-free, good health, and a wad of cash in hand. But in so doing, you confuse God's comfort with being comfortable. See the difference? I mean, just rehearse Paul's own experience. He was persecuted by false teachers, betrayed by his closest partners in the gospel. His reputation and ministry were constantly called into question. Paul was heartbroken. Just read 2 Corinthians sometime. Adding to the emotional and relational duress, he was no stranger to physical misery as well. In fact, 2 Corinthians 11 is a resume of how his body was beaten to a pulp. For Paul, worldly comfort just won't cut it. The comfort he seeks has nothing to do with the cushy life of being vindicated or rescued from his pain. The comfort that Paul has in mind is strength. Strength. What Paul is after, what God promised, promises to you, biblical comfort is one that fortifies you, one that enables you to be a spiritual tank. Yes, relief from hardships, words of encouragement, and gifts are nice, and they may very well play a part towards that ultimate goal, but they are the means for maturing and establishing what's truly important, keeping you in the faith, even through harrowing times. Paul desires a comfort that lasts because it will make him last without shipwrecking 
his faith. And this is what is promised to us in scripture. Not smooth sailing, but a faith made robust and firm through refinement. You think of passages like Romans 5.3, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Knowing that suffering is doing something. It produces endurance. James 1, 2 to 3, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? For you know, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And one of my favorites, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. You know what? Go ahead and turn there uh, because I want you to see this for yourself. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. And we stop there and think, okay, that's awesome. Whatever is thrown my way from temptations to trial, I know God will never crush me. He will provide a way of escape. And that's absolutely true. Yet, have you ever considered what he means by that. How exactly God provides the way of escape, the kind of escape he has in mind. Not a get out of jail card like we might assume. No. The verse finishes. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You get that? When things heat up, whether by our sin or circumstances, God doesn't just bail us out from the trial. He provides us the way of escape by sustaining us in it and through it, by empowering us to endure, holding fast and faithful to Jesus Christ. God's comfort isn't a happy-go-lucky, ignorance is bliss, come here and I'll coddle you forever. God's comfort God's comfort is staying power. So you stand firm in Christ regardless of the situation. An economy crashing, he promises to provide so you don't need to worry. Stricken with illness, he promises to transform one day our lowly bodies to be like Christ. Depressed and alone, he promises to never leave or forsake you. Why? So you're strong. So you won't forsake the faith. Christian, isn't this the kind of comfort you want? That as a believer, as a follower, don't you want to be able to weather the storm and emerge from it, not flimsy and weak, but sturdy, strong in faith? Well, take heart. This is what God vows to do. This is his intention. This is what he promises to accomplish In fact, God puts his own reputation on the line. Back in our passage, Paul moves from who God is to what he does. Look at the flow of verse 3 into verse 4. The Father of mercies and God of all comfort, and here he is in action, who comforts us in all our affliction. It's comprehensive. God's promise to comfort is cemented to his very identity, his personhood. He puts his own name on the line. Your affliction then, they are obstacles to where you want to go. Your afflictions are really launching pads to catapult you 
to God himself, occasions to exercise and grow in faith and see God true to his word. Verse 5, he says, For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Suffering and comfort go hand in hand, Paul tells us. Listen, doesn't comfort presuppose something? That we're first uncomfortable. God's comfort isn't experienced outside of suffering, but inside it. And Paul assures us, the amount of suffering you undergo will be matched by the amount of comfort God will provide. You cannot suffer more than God promises to lavish comfort, to provide strength. And this dramatically alters how we see our afflictions. God does not appoint them haphazardly on accident. He intentionally places them in our lives that we might come out on the other end with a firmer grip on his promises, a greater experience of his power. The suffering of Christ is a stepping stone to the comfort of Christ, to experience how sweet God is in the midst of our hardships and hurts because you've been stripped of everything else. And yet, you find him sufficient. Now, as Christians, we're not ignoring the realities of our difficulties. As Christians, instead, we press on because we have come to own the doctrines. We hold on to his truth, that God does strengthen the muscles of our faith, that suffering accepted in Christ does put us under the spout of God's comfort. The times we are sensitized to our need of God and how greatly he sustains us are the times when we admit our weakness. And so we cling to his promises. But I don't want our understanding of comfort to stop here. Paul doesn't want us to pull up short. We've done a lot of work on how God comforts us so that we have the right footing, so that we're ready now. We're prepared to comfort the last step to better comfort others is finally reached here. Complete the purpose of comfort. Complete the purpose of comfort. Look back at verse 4 and how it ends. He says, Who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which, with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, we have a tendency to be self-absorbed people. I will be honest. When I am sick or being hounded, I'm usually only concerned about numero uno, myself. I'm not thinking about how God is going to use my nagging cold or the pains of slander from someone else for the benefit of others and for his glory. I'm just thinking I'm miserable and I want out. I'm weak sauce. But the reality is that God has grander purposes we need a bigger vision of our affliction than of the affliction itself. We need a bigger vision of our comfort than the comfort itself. Otherwise, we will either drown in our troubles or caress our comfort without seeing all that God intends to teach us and do in others. Paul is pushing us further. Comfort doesn't terminate on the one who is afflicted. 
And God always pours enough comfort to spill over to others. Look at the process Paul presents. We don't merely offer others biblical platitudes or trite Christian statements we learned uh, growing up. No, Paul stresses how the comfort we administer is personal. It's comfort we have personally received so that we may be able to comfort those with the comfort with which we emphatic ourselves are comforted by God. You see, your own experience of God's comfort is necessary to keep you from being a performer, from being mechanical. Personal experience of God's comfort affirms that you're spiritually alive, that we have a relationship with God the Father, and that we are spiritually effective, that we have a relationship with others, that we care for the body of Christ. Notice, we do not exist in silos. We comfort others with the comfort we have received. We pass along what has been given from God. This is how we care for one another. So let me ask, Praxis, as gently as I can, have you meditated on how God is investing in you so that you can care and comfort others? Maybe he's teaching you gentleness through how someone is harsh with you. Maybe he's teaching you patience through how someone else constantly annoys you. Why? Why all these lessons? So that you can teach others what it looks like to honor Christ in these scenarios. Paul knew how to encourage because he knew what it was like to be discouraged. He knew how to comfort because he knew what it was like to be uncomfortable. One of the reasons you undergo the difficulties of serving people, of illness in the family, frustration with government, uncertainty about your future, seasons of doubt, is so that you can share with others, so that you can tell and counsel and help people with the wisdom and grace God has imparted through your own trials. And I think of my dad and why my dad passed away uh, when I was relatively young in seminary. Uh, don't get me wrong, it was hard, it sucks, I wish he was still alive. But at the same time, in retrospect, I see how God used it. In hindsight, one of the redeeming purposes of this tragedy was God was stretching me, growing me to better tend to those going through similar hardships. So that instead of being this emotionless ogre, it made me more sympathetic, sensitive to the grief of those around me. I have a fuller picture of what the comfort of God looks like, even in the face of death. And I can say by his grace, I'm better equipped to care and comfort those going through the heartache of loss. What about you? What about you? Some of you know the difficulties of a broken household or exacting parents. Others of you understand the hollowness of drugs and alcohol. For some, you've wrestled with body image and self-esteem issues. For others, it's the fight against perfectionism, ambition, climbing the corporate ladder. And God has been gracious and faithful to lift you out of those burdens, not only so that you can be free, but so that you might take on the burdens of others who are going through the same thing. Who knows, 
Perhaps you're in the middle of the learning process and that's okay. If you're a work in progress, you can still help others to make progress as well. I might not know all the details of what you are suffering, but I do know this, that we're in it together. The trenches of the Christian life are not occupied alone. The trenches of the Christian life aren't to leave us stagnant and scared. They are training grounds for the battlefield so that we might offer aid to one another like the medic does the wounded. This view consumes Paul so much that it expands into everything in life, the good and the bad. Look at verse 6. We resume in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 6. If we are afflicted, Paul says, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. I find this very curious and very profound that for Paul, affliction and comfort, they serve the same purpose. He is placing them in the larger category of loving others. After all, this is what much of following after Christ entails. It makes sense if we heed the call of discipleship, if we truly embrace the gospel, that we deny, die to ourselves, and the rest of life is given over to the glory and worship of God and the benefit of serving others, caring for people. It gives us a compass to therefore navigate through our own afflictions and our comforts. That in both cases, there is ministry to be done, people to love. So despite your context and circumstances, as a Christian, your service continues in how you care for others, whether that's through your faithful example in the valleys of death or in your faithful example in seasons of blessing and comfort point is this, don't get trapped by tunnel vision. We need to foster and develop an internal perspective. Paul is handing us binoculars. Our struggles with contentment in life or the church, the scuffles we have with co-workers and peers, the anxiety that shakes us from this pandemic, brush fires, and election year are not evidence of God's absence, but actually signs of his presence. They are the ways in which God wants us to mature in our faith so that we can comfort others. I mean, think about your own growth. Haven't you benefited from the counsel of others, from the wisdom imparted by people who have walked long with God, from the experiences of faithful saints used by God to shape and stretch you in your walk? Then the question we need to ask is, have I been beneficial? Have I been faithful with my afflictions and comforts? Have I been a wise steward of the experiences entrusted to me so that I can carry forth their purpose and care for others? You see, every Christian is a relay runner. Who are you passing the baton to? When we idolize our comforts, we stop in our tracks and we forget we're in a race. We miss God's purpose because when he comforts, 
he always does so in surplus. And there's a great hymn of the Christian faith. I'm sure some of you know it, how firm a foundation. And it's rich and immense because it speaks of the depth of God's word and the comforting truths replete in the pages of scripture. And what's incredible to me is that the hymn presupposes trials. The hymn states so matter-of-factly the certainty of hardship and suffering. I'll just read one stanza. It says, when through the deep waters I call thee, God speaking to his children, when I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow. For I will be with thee, thy trouble to bless and sanctify to thee thy deep distress. The hymn is biblically sound and hope inspiring because it affirms what we studied, the certainty of God to see you through. It praises how Christ your Savior will surely be with you, transform your troubles to bless so that you can be a blessing and sanctify you from your deepest distress. Yes, it's obvious that you live long enough. Well, the fact of the matter is you will suffer. But live in Christ, walk with God long enough, and you will be sustained by his comfort so that you can comfort others. Let's pray. God, what hope and richness is found in this passage. Now, you never, you never leave or forsake us. But Lord, you are all the more close in our darkest night, in the trials and troubles that haunt us, Lord, because it is then that we are prepared to look outside of ourselves, Lord, or to empty saviors, and to finally cast ourselves upon you. And you comfort us because you provide us with truth, truth about yourself and truth evidence in the gospel in what Christ has done on our behalf so that we find uh, our souls renewed so that we are given eyes to see the pains of those around us that we might care and comfort and love people that Christ might be formed in us and through us and to others and so Lord would you please use your word to continue to sharpen and convict us grow and stretch us that you might be pleased and that we might walk in faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.